Hello, lovely people, and welcome back to the Metropolitan Culture Corner. This is the final episode of 2020. Can you believe it? We have survived this crazy, crazy year. At times, it kind of feels like we didn't realize we were in some kind of badly cast David Lynch movie. But there's been other times when some truly beautiful things have happened. We've had the opportunity to launch this interview series, for example, which I feel very lucky to be a part of. We've gotten to know amazing artists that form a part of our beautiful city. And in 2021, we have an amazing lineup prepared for you. But before that, we want to go out with a bang. Our guest this month is the perfect guest for our final episode of the year. It's none other than Oscar Furunda, who has been a well-known face on the Spanish theater and television scene ever since the 1990s. This Barcelona native started out as a competitive athlete and philosophy student, but his love of theater continued to grow. He became an avid thespian who would eventually make his way onto the big and small screens. He has appeared in over 85 films and television series, as well as numerous commercials. His latest project is the role of Constantino Davidov in the fourth season of the incredibly popular Netflix series the crown. He is the only Spanish or Catalan actor in the cast of the show and he is here with us today to tell us all about it. So, listos? Art. Art is what makes us civilized. Thousands of years ago, they started explaining stories, the whole way that we are supposed to work as a species. Art is what makes us what we are. Art is not just a little show for your spare time. There's something at the bottom of this. It's the basis of humankind. And if we forget about this, what are we? Hello, pleased to meet you. Sorry. Really nice to meet you too. Hello, Oscar, and thank you for talking with me today. Thank you for having me. Now, I know you're from Barcelona. You grew up here. And when you were a teenager, you were very devoted to sports. But at some point, you had to make the decision to dedicate yourself to acting, no? So where was the turning point and how did you get started in the beginning in theater? My dad was an inspector, not a police inspector. He was an inspector for works on the street. And he was just checking that everything was all right. He was working for the town hall. So he met a lot of people and he had kind of free access to many cinemas. So he took us, me and my brothers, many times to the cinema, and that was an impact for me. It's also true that when I was in summertime in camps with other children, I always wanted to participate in the theater, uh, you know, little theater plays that we had. They were the first moments when I realized that there was something going on, yeah. Then later, did you study theater formally or did you just continue to participate in community theater until it became your job, basically? Actually, during the, the early 90s, I started with some modeling, uh, with some model agencies, but it was just uh, a pretty fast process. Started also with acting, but in amateur companies. So we played some Catalan classical plays. I had a great time, I learned a lot and it was such a great experience. And then I went on and that became professional and then producing companies, filming TV series. And after that, it rained a lot. It's been 30 years, yeah. 
It's not easy to be an actor professionally for 30 years. You have gone on to act in, in all kinds of places all over the world. For example, you did classical Shakespeare in London at the Barbican Theatre. It's a huge jump to go from doing local television spots or local theatre to Shakespeare in London. What is the difference between the kind of preparation you have to put into a really heavy classical role like that versus something you would do for a television show or a commercial? Working at Shakespeare in England, it's quite something. It was a controversial way the director Calixto Vieto performed that. Uh, audiences loved that, but it was pretty um, harsh. Trying to get the, what we call in Spanish the pulsiones, the rough energy that we human beings have into the Shakespeare play. That, by the way, was the headquarters of the Shakespeare uh, company in London. For me, it was such a great honor. That director just gave me a lot of energy. Sometimes you work with somebody where you know that you are just almost beyond your limits. And I think this is good because this is going to be a good tool for the future. Later, you've acted in German productions, English productions, Catalan, Swedish, Spanish, American, Korean, all kinds of different nationalities, all different styles of approaching a project. So aside from the Shakespeare project you mentioned, were there other projects that you remember really, really helped you grow as an actor or touch something that you've used ever since? Most of them, actually. Working for Any Human Heart, for example, the Channel 4 in England with Matthew McFadden was just great. I learned this discipline and this quality of English renditions. Working in different countries for American productions or English productions, it's been very good to see that there are some other ways to, to work and also with the technique. For Gosmaman, uh, which is one of the most well-known TV series in Sweden and other northern uh, or Nordic, Nordic countries, I work with Sean Penn in the movie The Gunman. Working for The Crown more recently, it's been amazing. It's true that sometimes different productions can have quite different styles, but at the end of the day, I think it's more about what you are explaining than trying to see that from archetypes. What's the difference for you between acting on stage versus acting in front of the camera? Because they're very different. Is there a difference in the way that you approach preparing for, for example, a movie or a television role versus a stage role? Yes. Definitely, yes. Actually, I'm about to start some rehearsals for the play. I think it would be a huge mistake not to tell the difference between these two kind of actings. You cannot act the same way you act in theater when you are in front of the camera. The camera registers absolutely everything. And if we actors or actresses forget that and try to expand what we do as if we were in theater, Mm, that's not good because then the camera sees something different. Theater is wonderful, but it's true that you have to, to give the declamations in a different way. The first person in the first row has to hear you, but also the last one, they also pay the ticket for this. So you know that you are working under different parameters. When you're working for television or cinema, obviously you are going to try to sell the truth, but for this truth, you need to measure like a scientist every single millimeter so that you are not just going beyond what your character is supposed to express. Are you one of these actors that when you get on set, you have to be in character the whole time? Or is it easy for you to slip in and out of your skin and the character's skin? 
It's not particularly difficult. There was a Spanish actor. He said that the work of the actor or the actress is to wait, basically. <laughs> That's why you need to be patient. And then from time to time you act, but you can be around the set and all of a sudden they need you right now at that moment and you need to get ready immediately. I'm used to that. You need to, to be very concentrated and it's very nice when all the fellas are working around so that you can give your best acting. The excellence of acting, when we try to get to that goal, it involves the work of others. So we need to be humble on that. A good rendition, a good interpretation cannot be apart from the work of others because we are a team. If we're doing good, it's because some other people work for that too. The project that a lot of our readers will have seen you in is this newest season of the Netflix series, The Crown. And as you're mentioning this group effort, everyone on the team focused on one goal together. Is that the kind of experience you had on the set of that particular show? Yeah, I had it. They worked like a clock, but I didn't feel like we were in a press mood or anything like that. It was just fine. It was good. The classic thing to say that it was a great experience, but it actually was. <laughs> it's not the thing that I'm supposed to say. It was just wonderful. Not only the experiences of traveling until that northern Scottish lands, it's kind of as if you were in the end of the world and it's, it's magnetic. First, the location, the production, the importance of that production. And with Paul Whittingstone, the director, and I, I loved working with him. I remember that I was a lot of caravans everywhere. I, I think at that point I had to go to makeup or something, or I was just going to the catering. I don't remember, but they are like small cities. You know, there are just all these caravans everywhere as if the small micro city. And all of a sudden, and it was uh, Gillian Anderson, as Margaret Thatcher, she was just looking for someone. It was, oh, it's Margaret Thatcher now, you know? <laughs> it was funny because she was working in the same location, not in exact location where I was working, but the crowd works a lot in Scotland. It was such, uh, such a great time. Is it different for you to play a character who was a real person? Because your character in real life, for those who don't know, was an Argentine businessman who's often blamed for sparking the conflict that started the Falklands War. So that's an important person. Was it different preparing to represent this real figure versus a fictional character that you invent? Yeah, there's one part of interest in this issue that is the kind of lines that you are playing. They have been written by others, so you need to adapt to those lines but also to the profile. Yeah, I think it's very interesting, this thing that you say, because uh, when you have fictional characters that did not or don't exist, then you build a character. People that really existed or still exist, at least in my opinion, you need to use the same kind of voice, the behavior. And I remember watching a lot of videos of Constantino Davidov, also the accent, since I'm not Argentinian, I, I had to play an Argentinian accent. So also he had this uh, pretty dark voice. And this guy, you see the videos and he was just always in his position, just like that. It doesn't matter if there's an earthquake or tsunami or whatever, you are portraying somebody who really exists or existed because this guy is alive, Constantino Davido. If you have references, I think you need to be there as much as possible. I hope that 
if he sees that, he sees himself a little bit over there. <laughs> that must be so crazy. Just the idea of you playing someone that will later watch you must be so strange in a good way. Speaking of breathing life into characters, now I know I'm going to completely butcher the name of this cartoon because it's in Serbian. Uh, and Pilici? Ah, Pilici. Did you really dub 40 characters in one series? How do you make each of those 40 characters have their own spirit and their own life? How do you even do that? Well, it's easy to say that. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, there were 40. Actually, it was for another cartoon TV series that it was almost 60 with different kind of modulations. The reference of the original voices, but still, they wanted to do our own version in Spanish. It's not only about the tessiture when you are dubbing characters, especially if they are cartoons, which are pretty difficult. The voices are more exaggerated. It's also about if you shorten their syllables or not, and also the kind of rhythm that they use. So yeah, it was a challenging situation. And it's funny because sometimes I was working in certain characters and all of a sudden I had to work again in one that I worked two days ago. And then <laughs> you need to remember. <laughs> I think that what people will realize listening to this interview is that there is so much discipline and mental acrobatics involved in acting that I think people are not aware of at all. They think that the artistic spirit just carries you and the character comes out, but no, there's so much work behind it. Yeah, it's true. Is there maybe some advice that you would give to a young actor living in Barcelona who's just starting out who says, listen, I want to do what you do, you know? What would you tell him or her? I detect when somebody has the real heart for working for this. This is the person you are supposed to give an advice. And it's about discipline. It's about discipline. If you want, the more important is your goal, the more you have to work. They are not going to give you things just like that because it's not how this world works. I think that we are artists 24-7. Having our responsibilities, having our hobbies, whatever. It's not about an obsession. It's just being aware of your path, trying to be yourself. And if I had to give one advice, I would say, just trust on yourself. Sometimes they're gonna to try to tell you who you are. No, you are supposed to know who you are. And if not, you are going to discover who you are, but trust on your own energy. Try to be inspired by others, but don't try to be a copy of others. Sometimes they're not going to like what you do, but it's you. Try to be genuine in whatever you do. And if you fall, just get up again. This is your path. So it's up to you. That's something really important for people to hear, especially creative people. Right now, considering everything that's gone on this year, the pandemic has been very difficult for people in the world of arts and culture. Do you feel like the pandemic has changed, not even your schedule, because I'm sure it has, but has it changed your outlook at all? Well, I'm a person who's not afraid of being in reflection and trying to be happy is a personal decision. But yeah, I think I've learned from the pandemic as well. It's when you see that, you have all this time and you have the opportunity to see how your life is going on. It's been and still is a drama and a tragedy for so many people. I think it's good for having empathy to the problem of others of society because it's affecting everyone, regardless the age, the sex, the economic financial position. At least in my case, it's good as a reminding 
of how vulnerable we can be. And as you mentioned about the work, definitely it has affected all of us, but there's also the hope that this is going to stop at some point and we're going to, to go ahead again. What projects do you have coming up? The Crown just came out and several projects you've recently recorded are being released now, which is great. Is there anything that, that you have coming out soon or that you'll be starting? There's this theater play that I mentioned before. It's about two brothers that they are just knowing each other after their dad's funeral. And then I'm going to start shooting for Los Herederos de la Tierra, which is the second part of La Catedral del Mar, this, this very famous book written by Ildefonso Falcones. And these are right now the two projects. I think I'm very optimistic about what's going to happen in 2021. 2020, I remember that I loved just the, just the number, you know, it sounds so beautiful. This is 2020, you know, this is going to be quite a year. And that's how this life can be. All of a sudden, worldwide pandemic, affecting our jobs, affecting our lives, people dying. It's a test for society. I've been thinking about how societies work because we've seen many, many weird things as well. Sometimes it's sweet, sometimes it's hard. At least something positive out of this is to see that we need to work together and we need to respect others because if we live in our own bubble, I think it's a mistake. It is a lesson to learn. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks to you. Thanks to you. It's been a big pleasure. Thank you so much. And I know I'll be paying attention to see what role you choose to take on next. Very excited to see your play coming up in March in Barcelona. We will announce that in the magazine. Of course, every time I record one of these interviews, I always end up in such a good mood afterwards because I always feel so lucky, not only to have the opportunity to get to know these people and to hear about the creative process, but also the fact that I live in this city where there are so many incredible human beings making art, making music, making plays. Thank you, Barcelona Metropolitan, for giving us the opportunity to shine the light on these incredible people. I and my friends at the magazine wish you and yours happy holidays. We wish you the very best. Happy New Year. And remember to tune in to the Metropolitan Culture Corner once a month, the first Monday of every month. Remember to check our social media, find out what's going on in the city. And thank you, thank you, thank you for being there with us throughout this crazy year. We can't wait to show you what we have lined up for 2021.